He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. Breaking news. WABC. And that breaking news, Mikhail Gorbachev, who ended the Cold War, dies at the age of 91. My God. I knew him well, and uh, he was a good man. Uh, Ed Cox, you knew him well, too. Well, I, I knew of him very well. Uh, my, father's, uh, my father-in-law's encounters with him, and also with Yeltsin. And it, this is not the end that Gorbachev wanted. He thought the Soviet Union would survive. It just needed glasnost and perestroika. You do the two together. Yes, Freedom yes. of speech. He's 91 and 92 years old right now. Yep. Was and uh, uh, are you know being involved in the Greek Orthodox Church and the Russians being Orthodox? Um, we um, we honored him uh, one year. Uh, why? He was a man of peace, and the the fact was when the Berlin Wall came down, Gorbachev had two choices: make war or let it happen. And you know what he chose? Let it happen. And we had a lot of discussions over dinner. The discussions over dinner was, I remember one question I asked him, did we ever, did there are two countries ever come close to World War III? And I'll talk about it later. So stay uh, tuned. I'll talk about it later. And the other discussion was uh, uh, that he was very religious. His daughter was with him. That one time I was with dinner with him. And his daughter, he loved his daughter, and his wife was a, a strict communist. And he had his mother, when his, when his wife was not home, he had his mother come, take his daughter, and had her baptized in the Russian Orthodox Church, and never told his because his, his own wife, being a communist, his diehard communist, would have turned him in. Mm. And when his wife died, he told me he went behind the curtain and did his cross. Hmm. Wow. Well, let's have a show. This is the cats. Are, this is cats at night, and this is the number one show at uh, five o'clock. And we're at TriCast, and. Uh, we have a full, a full, full studio today, and we have a lot of smart people here. And uh, we have uh, Nelson Happy. He's dean of the Regal uh, Law School. Is that correct? Regent University. Regent University. And from Lawrence, Kansas, we have George Venizelos, the former head of the FBI in New York, New York uh, area. Uh, we have uh, with Ed Cox, ten years uh, with. Uh, a GOP chair of New York State and Richard Nixon's son-in-law, and uh, we have Washington, Rudy Washington, maybe related to George Washington, but he was the darker half of the Washingtons, and uh, he was deputy mayor under Rudy Giuliani and a real smart guy there too. And Craig Eaton, ten years a GOP chairman of Brooklyn, and my sidekick here, Lydia Serrani, where she stands. Nobody knows. Uh, and, uh, I'm an independent. We, we have a great show, a great, great show. I won't even tell you who the rest of the show is, but they're great. 
Now we have, understand, is Dershowitz on the phone? That's correct. We have Professor Alan Dershowitz, a leading constitutional attorney in the country. Just a couple of decades at Harvard Law. His latest book, his 50th book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Professor Dershowitz. Well, thanks. I have two Gorbachev stories that I think Tell you'll us. enjoy. I went to the Kremlin to make a speech on uh, comparing the American economy and the Russian economy, and he was at my table, and I spoke to him. He was then the head of the, the, the country, and it was the night before Russia Shana. And I said to him, Mr. Gorbachev, will you come with me to synagogue tomorrow, the, the, the Coral Synagogue in Moscow? Because there's been a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism in the country, the growth of an organization called Pamyat. And if you came, it would really put an end to it. And he said, Alan, he said, you think I could survive that? I'm barely surviving now. No, I can't go to the synagogue with you, but I will issue a statement against anti-Semitism, which he then did. And it really had an impact on slowing down. He was a good man, uh, Alan. Then flash forward several years, and this sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. Dershowitz, Gorbachev, Vaclav Havel, and Anatoly Sharansky end up in an elevator. It's true. We were in an elevator in the La Roma Hotel in Jerusalem celebrating 50th anniversary of Israel. I had just given a speech. Gorbachev was in the audience. Vaclav Havel was on my panel. Gorbachev turns to me and he says, oh, the fancy lawyer, the lawyer who says he got Vaclav Havel and Anatoly Sharansky out of prison. I had been both their lawyers. He says, you didn't get them out of prison. I got them out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> and Al, that sounds like my story where me and Margo and uh, uh, Fidel Castro were in the same elevator with a bunch of reporters. And I, I will save that story and tell it again soon. <laughs> Okay. And it was an interesting story, but uh, uh, Fidel Castro rescued Margot. Uh, well, my story isn't over yet because Vaclav Havel then turns to Gorbachev and says, Mr. Gorbachev, if you got us out of prison, why didn't you get us out earlier? <laughs> and, Gorbachev, and Gorbachev said, that much power I didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Alan Dershowitz, there's so many things happening. And I think Nelson Happy, you're going to start. Nelson Happy was dean of the... Uh, the yes, law school, no. Regent University, and, That's right. and in middle America, Lawrence, Kansas. So Nelson is an honest guy being from middle <laughs> America. You know, I, I can't swear by all New Yorkers, but Kansas is pretty good. I, but tell us uh, the questions uh, you want well, to ask, well, Alan. Well, Alan, uh, Justice Sotomayor turned down the uh, appeal from the Second Circuit today over the uh, New York City detective who was trying to get a temporary restraining order to prevent his being fired or, or put on leave without pay uh, because he refused to get uh, vaccinated. Right. Is there a takeaway on Justice Sotomayor's decision, do you think, that means something on the case? I think it probably does. You can't tell much from a single justice's refusal. Normally, in a serious case, she might survey the other justices and see if there are three or four of them who might want to review the case. So it may be that uh, there isn't enough to review the case. But I think it's sending a message, the same message that has been sent by the Supreme Court, reasonable, reasonable rules regarding vaccination for a deadly communicable disease 
are going to be upheld by the courts, but unreasonable ones won't be. Well, I, I was, Alan, I was wondering about the uh, case of Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Sure. Where back in 1905, the Supreme Court said yeah. that the state could pass a law requiring uh, smallpox right. vaccination. Would yeah, that be applicable very, here, do you think? Partly applicable. That involved only a $100 fine or something like that. And it was smallpox, which was an incredibly uh, spreadable uh, disease. The data on, on COVID are a little more complicated. The vaccination will help you not die, but will it help prevent the spread of the disease? Probably, but not as clearly as with smallpox. So I think the decision is gonna be very influential, but it's not a binding precedent. Uh, but speaking about that, thank you, Kansas. You guys did the right thing on abortion. They sent the case back to the state uh, for abortion. Kansas was the first state to have essentially a referendum on it. And it said, we're going to do the sensible thing. Abortion at the beginning is going to be legal, and at the end it's not going to be legal. That was the right way to go. Well, Kansans are very sensible, I think. And uh, in a way, uh, to me, it justified the reversal of Roe versus Wade to throw the issue back to states and then let the state decide whether they wanted to regulate abortion or not. How, how do you feel about the Supreme Court's decision well, in well, that? Let me, let me throw you a question back. At the same time they did that, they said, but gun control doesn't go back to the states. That's mandated by the United States Constitution. Don't you think the framers had in mind that every state which had its own state militia, and it says in the Constitution, well-regulated militia, don't you think the states should have at least as much power to regulate guns as it has to regulate abortions, or does it reflect the fact that this Supreme Court is more pro-gun than it is pro-abortion? Well, I hate to think that's the case, Alan. Uh, It's certainly a very good point. I I think the Supreme Court's decision on reversing Roe versus Wade was clearly mandated by the Constitution. But not reversing it in this case, because this case only involved the constitutionality of the Mississippi statute, which allowed abortions up to 15 weeks and said that's a federal issue. And the court reached out and said, even though it's not presented in this case, we're going to overrule the entire Roe versus Wade and not just address this case. So. I was critical of the decision, um, you know, the results. We'll see what happens. And, and, and so is Chief Justice Roberts, right? He disagreed yeah. with that. He agreed with uh, me. Prof- professor, right? professor, you know, uh, this is Rudy Washington, but yeah. we appear to be conf- contrarians and arbitrary in, in some of our decisions. How can we mandate um, this COVID shot, but at the same time let millions of people cross the border without any tests. And they could come in, we stop a tennis uh, pro, I'm not a big tennis fan, but Djokovic, I think was his name, Mm -hmm. we stopped him from coming in, but he should have walked across the border. He would have been okay. Mm -hmm. You got a good, you have a good point, of course. And uh, inconsistency has become the word of the day. Hypocrisy, inconsistency. You know, we used to live by principle. I wrote a book called The Price of Principle, Why Integrity Matters arguing that we should go back to principles today it's who votes who has the most votes who wins who's in control we do it because we can do it those are the unprincipled ways in which we make decisions and that explains why the number one tennis player in the world is excluded 
and people who won't be tested are not excluded. And, and, and Professor, now uh, there's another big controversy going on in New York. Uh, with us uh, right now is calling in from the other side of midnight. We have Frank Morano. Frank? John, how are you? Professor Good. Dershowitz, it's great to talk Hi. with you, and uh, it's talk great to, to be on with such an esteemed panel. Talk to the professor about that uh, that police officer that you was uh, you knew you knew him Sal Greco that uh, got thrown off the force in uh, New York because he was friends uh, with your other friend Roger Stone. I mean, you got to yeah. be. Careful who you hang around with, Frank. <laughs> John, I hope you, you uh, don't treat me the way that Commissioner Sewell treated uh, Officer Sal Greco. But, yeah, Professor Dershowitz, I'm sure you've seen some of the coverage um, of yeah. this lawsuit being filed. But this uh, police officer for 14 years was essentially fired for uh, not engaging any criminal activity, not storming the Capitol on January 6th, but essentially being friends with Roger Stone and the former Manhattan madam, Kristen Davis. So he's now filed a lawsuit. And my question for you is sort of twofold. One, uh, one of the issues raised in this lawsuit is the issue of a double standard, because Mayor Adams, when he was a police officer, was a private security guard for Mike Tyson, who at that point was a convicted felon. And also, is that uh, prohibition that the department has for associating with uh, former convicted felons, even once they're pardoned, is that overly broad? And now, uh, does this lawsuit have any merit in your view? I think it's overly broad. That there's no doubt about. Uh, you're absolutely right about Mike Tyson. I hung around with Mike Tyson. I was his lawyer, uh, and I watched him in Las Vegas. He put on a great show. I, 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 you don't punish an ex-felon by saying you can't have any friends after you've been rehabilitated, and you can't punish friends by saying you can't associate with somebody who's an ex-felon. Whether it raises the level of constitutionality, uh, it's a hard question. The case has never been presented before. I can see the arguments on both sides. I think the stronger argument is on the officer's side. I think it violates due process by creating a kind of guilt by association. Uh, yeah, the police department have within their rules uh, something called known associates that um, when you come onto the job, they make yeah. you declare, yeah. you know, uh, any known associates. So they kind of take that serious. But so, so Professor Dershowitz, is he being Dershowitz? Are they trying to cancel? <laughs> I was listening. Are, are they trying to cancel this uh, officer, well, former Officer Greco? Well, in part. But, you know, being Dershowitz is a different thing, and I write about it in my book, The Price of Principle. The reason I've been attacked so much is because uh, left-wing Democrats don't want other lawyers to defend Donald Trump. They're sending a message. They're saying, if you defend Donald Trump's rights, even constitutional rights, you're going to be Dershowitz like he was. Your family is going to be attacked. You're going to get calls at three in the morning. Your wife is going to be dissed. Your children are going to be, you know, nobody wants to do that. And so lawyers have called me and said, we'd love to defend President Trump in this case, but we're not going to do it. Our spouses won't let us because of what happened to you. But in a way, he has been Dershowitz because of his ties to MAGA, because of Roger Stone. I think if had, it had been anybody else, I mean, Mayor Adams, doesn't he have some known associates that are former felons? But, you know, it really discriminates against certain communities. You know, it does discriminate against certain communities. You know, if you're a Jewish guy from Borough Park like I am, you're not going to have any known associates who are criminal. But if you come from neighborhoods, that have mm. high levels of criminality, even if you're the most innocent person in the world, of course you're going to have some association. And so I think there is an ethnic, an element of ethnic discrimination and other discrimination in this rule. 
I, I think this is just Trump discrimination. I that's think that's what, what think. it's all about. MAGA he, discrimination. He, he was friends with Roger Stone. Roger Stone was with Trump. So we got to get rid of him. Guilty by association. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of that. I wrote no. a book, another book of that called Guilt by Accusation. So, mm-hmm. you know, we live in a world of McCarthyism again. I never thought we'd experience what I experienced when I was in college in the 1950s. I was president of the student body at Brooklyn College. And we were just experiencing right-wing McCarthyism. Now students and others are experiencing left-wing McCarthyism, and it's just as bad. Yeah, uh, the other thing I, I'll ask, if I can, very quickly, uh, Professor, is apparently one of the things the department did here was they they accused him of having some sort of, uh, a, you know, something to do with narcotics, even though there was no evidence of that. They No one ever thought that he was on drugs. No one gave him a drug test. But they apparently used that to subpoena his phone records and find that he had had phone conversations uh, with Roger Stone. Does that violate uh, some sort of substantive due process that they created this sort of trumped up charge just to get access to his phone records, even though there was no evidence, certainly no conviction of anything having to do with narcotics? Trumped up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that does that does violate, uh, I would think, the Fourth Amendment. That uh, the idea that you can get a search based on fake allegations. Uh, there's a case called Franks versus Maryland, which deals with that issue. So I think he has. I think there's a good point there too. Uh, well, Professor, uh, I'm just going to ask you one last question, then we have to go on to our next sure. guest. Uh, if you were a betting man, would you put money on Sal Greco's lawsuit, or would you put money on the NYPD defense? I think I would probably put money on Sal Greco's lawsuit. I think he has a substantial chance of winning, but I don't know all the facts. I, no, I understand. Well, from that's the, why from I don't bet money on cases. But uh, what, that's why I don't bet money on horses. Professor in a New York court. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Professor.